Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. Welcome to episode 11 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in today's bonus episode, I'll take you through the three stages of gamifying scales with your students. Well, hello there, beautiful teachers. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. Most bonus episodes here on the podcast are going to be interviews. However, this one is a little bit different because I've decided to rebroadcast for you one of the days from my seven-day VMT first birthday celebrations that I did recently on the Facebook page. The reason I wanted to share this with you here is that I know not everyone is on Facebook. And I know not everyone likes watching video. So if you're someone that prefers podcasts, this might be a great chance to catch this particular training that I did, which is all about gamifying scales. And I had some really great feedback about it. Members got a lot of actionable ideas from it, and they've been letting me know which ones they've been trying out ever since. So I wanted to share this with you here today. And also to let you know that you can still catch all of the replays of all of these trainings, even if you're not on Facebook, in video format at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash bday, so B-D-A-Y. And that's where you can catch all of these videos. There were seven of them, seven different trainings that I did as a fun way to celebrate VMT's first birthday. And of course, you can sign up to become a member of Vibrant Music Teaching and join our community at vmt.ninja, and that's how you can get in on the fun. But for now, let's dive into this training all about gamifying scales and making them fun and engaging for students. Okay, so today we're talking about scales, yeah? And how we can work on scales. And I've split this up into three levels to make it a little bit more digestible for you guys and make it stick in your head a little bit more and make it more understandable. So level one is our first level. Let me get rid of that guy. Level one is about fantastic foundations. What does that mean? Just means the beginnings. Okay. But it's about laying amazing foundations that are reliable later on when you try to speed things up and make it more exciting and do all the crazy patterns and all of that stuff. None of that can happen if they don't know the scale patterns in the first place. So what are the fantastic foundations that we want to lay? Well, my favorite way to start is with improvisation. By far. Before I've touched scale fingerings. Or definitely before they're fully embedded. So I'm starting with improvisation as a way to discover scales. As a way to learn about things like 
which black keys are in the scale? What does it mean to be in G major? What does it feel like to land on the tonic at the end? That kind of stuff. So we start with improvisation. And I'm actually going to show you a video of me and my student doing this. This is, just to give you a little bit of context here, this is something from something I call the Circle of Fifths Odyssey. And that is a lesson plan that I'm going to be releasing inside Vibrant Music Teaching in about two weeks. Is that right? What date is it? About two weeks. Less than two weeks, I think. And there's a Circle of Fifths Odyssey. That's a set of lesson plans that last, you guessed it, 12 weeks to take your students around the entire Circle of Fifths, exploring scales and chords along the way. And the foundation of that is this exercise, which I've started doing with my students. Very simple. We start in the key of C and we improvise together. I do a simple chord accompaniment and they improvise in the key of C. And then we move to G and we talk about what that means. So I'm going to show you a little clip of this. And for those of you who tuned in on the first day, yes, I have figured out how to make the sound work. So it will work this time if I click on the right buttons. Here we go. We're going to improvise in the key of C major. What does that mean, Emma? It's... No, you can go everywhere. Where can't you go? Um... Yeah, no black keys. But you, could, you don't have to stop and see to see. Okay. One octave. You can use all of them. As long as I'm not using it. Don't steal them off me. <laughs> What's the difference between C and G? There's one sharp in G. Yeah, which one is it?
Okay, so let me pause it there. I hope you heard that okay this time around. I think I set it up correctly and that that gives you an idea. We continued up to A or E that week, but we're just working through the various keys and really getting inside what it means to be in that key, which is something that I don't felt feel like I found for a long, long time. I hope it was useful for you guys to see that in action. As I say, this is going to be in a planned out sequence so that it can be used by anyone. But feel free to jump in and have a go if you're like, yeah, I get it. She's just playing four chords, which I am. There's nothing complicated going on in my accompaniment. And then the student is improvising in C. Then I'm asking, okay, we're going to move to G. What, what does that mean? Now, Beth just asked a great question. How do you work on scale fingering, though? Good question, Beth. I do. I just later. So we're going to get to that in a second. But the main thing for me in the beginning is just that I want them to understand what we're even doing. Because too often, I think that we just, we just say, we just introduce scales as like, this is what we're going to do. Let's go. And it doesn't mean anything to students. And young students will go with you, okay? Especially during the lesson. They're just going to go with you. They may be less likely to practice at home and they definitely are not getting the reason behind it. And we want students to be intrinsically motivated. We want them to understand why they're doing stuff. And especially older students, but even the younger students, they can understand it. They can grasp why scales are important, what what we're doing them for and what it's all about. So that's why the improv to start. Now, I want to mention, since several people have said that I wasn't going to say anything, several people are mentioning my hair. My hair is straight today because I went to the hairdresser. It will be curly again tomorrow. I never straighten it myself. So enjoy it while it lasts. It'll be gone tomorrow. I am never going to the effort of straightening it myself at home. Not happening. Um, so if you're just joining us now, we are not talking about hairstyles. What we're talking about is scales and technical drills and how to make them fun. And I've just started with level one, which is about fantastic foundations. But I want to give you a chance to jump in on the giveaway. So you need to answer this question. Get in on the giveaway. It is favorite ways to work on scales, whatever your favorite way is, even if that's just doing them up and down and you think metronome up and down, that's it. No fun to be had there. That's fine. Or if you just haven't come up with other ideas, that's fine too. But make sure you answer VMT color that you want to win. Which present do you want to win? That's optional. You don't need to include that. You do have to start with VMT and you do have to answer the question. If you've not answered the question, you're not going in the drawing and you will never get inside this beautiful coconut called Alan, which is how you win. And I'll be announcing the winner for today towards the end of today's workshop. First of all, moving on in our level one. So we've talked about improvisation. A company is the next stage, and that's what I'm doing a little bit there. But as we start to explore the fingering, I will also accompany them while they're playing with the actual fingering, the the actual fingering, the fingering patterns that we teach, okay? So as we're learning those, and as I'm teaching them to them, I will accompany them. And I'll also use apps to do that, like iReal Pro, Music Lock, which... I think it was Jennifer. Someone already mentioned there in the comments. Music Lock is great for that. It's super simple. If you're just getting started on tech and all that stuff, go with Music Lock. If you're a pretty comfortable, techy kind of person, go with iRow Pro. It's not impossible to use. I'm not saying it's really hard and you need to be a coder or something, but it's a little bit less intuitive. Let's just say that. It's got more going on 
and therefore it makes it a little bit less easy to use. If you want something easy, just jump into Music Lock, use that. It's on iPad, iPhone, don't think it's on Android. But Scale Tracks might be on both. Not remembering off the top of my head. Scale Tracks is another one, and so is Smart Scales. They all provide backing tracks for scales, and they're great ways for students to be practicing at home and doing it in the lesson when they are working on the fingerings, when they're building them up. And as someone mentioned there before, Piano Maestro, Nicolette, wasn't it? Piano Maestro um, is a great way for them to practice where they can actually see the notation. My preference is for non-notation. I never read scales, and I don't think it's particularly helpful at the beginning stages, but I'm not, you know, extremely of a, an extremely strong opinion either way. If you find it useful to have notation, that's fine. I just like to take scales as a break from notation because there's enough of it. Beth, sorry, I love this comment from Beth there, but I still hate scales. I don't let on to my students and they mostly enjoy them. I like the improv idea with new scales. Beth, I want to convert you and I think I've tried before. Scales are not miserable things. They can be fun. Start improvising with them. That is the surest way to enjoying them yourself, enjoying working on them, because you get to listen to your student actually making music. Okay? And even as they progress, they can do scales with improvising all along the way, not just for the beginning stages. The next stage, though, in level one, or the next part, these can be done concurrently, is visual. And for this, I have little erasers. Of course. I use my hedgehogs for this. I also use these dudes. These are even smaller. And I got these in San Francisco. So they were in a US-based stationery shop. That doesn't mean you'll be able to find them. What's it called? Okay, I don't see the name of the store there. But it was a massive stationery store. And I don't know what it's called. Isn't that helpful? Anyway, this is what they look like. They're just tiny erasers. I like these, um, especially for scales, because they are flat. Flatter than the hedgehogs smaller and therefore easier to balance on the black keys. So both work great, but uh, I like these for scales recently. And I use these both on the actual keyboard and on things like this, which this is a game called Scale Engineer. And in this they have different cards and you can choose which ones to take out. Like if they haven't done G sharp in the beginning, you would take that out. But they're working on building up the scales on the visual representation of the keyboard. And that way, they actually know what the pattern is. One of the biggest pitfalls, I think, in beginning teaching of scales is actually, and this is the way I remembered them for years, is that they're not getting a lot of the benefits that you can get from scales because they're just using muscle memory. And the muscle memory is great and we want to build that and that's important and it's really useful when it, they come up in pieces, we already know how to play them, great. All fantastic stuff. But you can glean so much more from scales if you actually understand them. If you actually know that there are five flats in D flat. Whereas if you just do them by up and down and up and down and you never stop to think about it, it's very easy to just not even know that and have to literally think through it in, their, in your mind which is what I used to do. And similarly to what we talked about with mnemonics for note names on the first day, it's just an extra step. And if they've thought through it before, it's a little bit faster. So just my thoughts there on 
the actual different ways of looking at scales and what we can get out of them and how we can maximize them. So one way is to use visual patterns, placing the little erasers on the keys and asking them to do that before they play. You can also ask them to tell you stuff before they play. So I'd always be doing one of these things with scales, never just the scale. Always they are placing the, the erasers on the keys to show me the pattern before they play it or they're telling me something about it. This is the quicker one to do, obviously. So what are they telling me? Tell me how many sharps are in it. Tell me what finger it starts on. Tell me the full fingering pattern. Tell me how many black keys, how many white keys. Any question you can come up with, but just some little test, quote unquote test, that makes them think. So they're not trying to do it on automatic pilot so that they do actually know something about it. And it makes them more reliable too. And then fingering. So getting them to say the fingering out loud, getting them to write the fingering on keyboard diagrams, getting them to try it with different fingering and see why that's wrong. I often also get my students to practice with just finger twos, not practice, I shouldn't say that, I should say try it, because like just once in the lesson, try it with finger two. You'd be surprised how many students know a scale backwards and forwards with the right fingering, and actually... When you tell them to play it with finger two, they can't do it. And it's because they don't actually know what notes are in it. Just muscle memory. And that's missing out on so much. Tell me what you think of these tips as we go through here. Um, Birdie said she just downloaded and printed that, that game, that scale engineer. That's awesome. Um, block it out, says Colleen, for scales. That's great. Uh, Beth says, I have tried to make her enjoy scales, that is. Uh, I respect them, but nah, I hate them. Improvise! You, you said you haven't improvised, so you haven't tried hard enough. We're going to do it, Beth. You're going to love them. Birdie says, I've been having them write down their fingering away from the keyboard the past two weeks and some struggle with it. Yeah, it's surprising how many do and how many struggle to say what notes are in it and anything else. And I, like I say, I know I would have. Years and years into my studies, having played scales in multiple octaves, contrary motions, arpeggios and everything, I couldn't really tell you what they were for quite a long time. So, level two we're moving into now, and this is a shorter level. Level two is about application. And this can start to happen within level one, but it's really the next stage of understanding. All of that stuff in level one, that's great foundations. They should be able to improvise with their scales. In the beginning, using just finger two and hopping around. And as they progress, using all of their fingers and using the correct fingering, but turning around wherever they want to and switching it up and doing it in thirds and all that stuff that's just going to happen naturally as they improvise with it. Then accompanying, so playing with an accompaniment, staying in time with you or with a backing track, using visual layouts of scales, whether it's on a keyboard diagram, using erasers on the keys, that kind of stuff, or scale engineer, those types of games, and using verbal scales, so telling you things about it, talking you through it, telling you what notes are in it, telling you what the fingering is, and all of that stuff, singing it, left that out, sing, absolutely, and talking about the fingering as well as using the correct fingering and blocking it out like um, Colleen just suggested there, where you do it in blocks. If you haven't tried that before, I presume this is what Colleen means. I talk about this as clusters, but like if you're playing D major, you would play the first three D, E, F sharp as one block, then you move up and you've got five together if you're playing one octave. Um, does that make sense? So you're playing them as two clusters. 
that can be very helpful for some students. And also for others, it can reveal that they actually don't even know what I'm talking about and that they don't get that there are patterns involved in scales that actually make sense. Like that three and five make eight, and so do four and four, and that's why those two patterns happen. Stuff like that that sounds obvious, but maybe we haven't thought it through, maybe they haven't thought it through. So it does help to talk these things out. It can help them see it from a different perspective. So when we're talking about applying scales, what I mean here is that we are, first of all, composing with them, improvising more and more and more and more. Let me move that guy out of my face. And investigating. Okay, so improvising more and more and more and talking about it and then starting to have them improvise solo with their scales. So they have a right hand scale and the left hand accompaniment of some type. It can start off super simple. It can just be a one and a five and a one. That's it. That can be it in the beginning and just doing them for four beats each. That will be enough of a challenge and just playing their scale up and down. And as they get used to that pattern, then they can start to actually improvise a little bit, change the rhythm up, um, switch up the pattern, skip notes, as well as stepping, that kind of stuff. Incorporate their arpeggio. And you can build up the different patterns and take them out of their pieces too when they're working on the improv. Then we want them to compose with scales. This is something I've left out and I am super guilty of still not including enough, but I want to do it more. Assigning a new scale and asking your student to compose something with it. A melody of two bars. It doesn't have to be a massive thing. It can be small, it can be tiny. But it will make a massive difference in how much they understand teaching. Sorry. How much they understand um, the actual structure of it. Right? And what it is for. What's the point of it? Because... We co compose pieces with scales. That's why they exist. You know? They're patterns that we use to make music. And composing can help them internalize that. And then investigating, becoming a detective, looking at their pieces. Every time you start a new piece, look for the scale. Find the scale segments or the chord patterns or the arpeggio patterns. Whatever comes up in that piece. Um... Dana asked a question there, do you have a but the pieces plan for teaching scales or a plan for that? This is so much great information. Dana, I mentioned there that the Circle of Fifths Odyssey is coming out. That is a plan for teaching scales, all major scales and so much more. And you could certainly extend it yourself and do the same pattern with all the minors. Um, so it's taking them on an odyssey around the Circle of Fifths. And they'll be exploring scales along the way, primarily scales, and then a bit of chords and accompaniment thrown in as well in a really fun way, incorporating games, of course, and improvising all the way across. So look forward to that. That's about 10 days out or something like that. Very, very soon. So that's level two of scales in my mind, is where we're applying that knowledge, understanding it in the context of composing, finding it in pieces and picking them out, the patterns and seeing them. Now that they know the scales, or at least some of them, the ones that are relevant to what you're working on, and improvising more and getting them to do solo improvisation. So they're really getting inside the skin of scales. Beth says, a bit like Paul Harris, simultaneous learning. I use these techniques in everything. Yes, bring it all together. I love Paul Harris's work. Absolutely, Beth. That's exactly the page I'm on. Bring everything together. Scales are not an isolated exercise that we do for the sake of them or to stretch our fingers or some nonsense. 
they are a valuable thing to do because of all this stuff they can do. And if we don't do this stuff straight away, students don't get that. They don't connect the dots. They don't see the point of them. They don't practice them. Or at least, even if they do practice them, they don't enjoy them. And they should enjoy them, including you, Beth. You should enjoy them too. So level three is to randomize and challenge. And this is where students are getting pretty good with scales, at least a certain set, whatever your set is. And then we're going to randomize that work and challenge them to really accelerate the scales. Now that they know what they're for, rather than doing this the other way around, they now know what the scales are for, what the point of them is, and why they're fantastic. And they need to randomize and challenge themselves and push themselves forward because they know what they're, what the point is, right? So they can see intrinsically they are motivated to do it and you giving them that little bit of a, a structure around that, it just makes sense to them. It's not about you pushing your own um, goals and aspirations on them. They have that and we need to push them forward to really get to grips with them and they'll be on board with that. So there's loads of great resources for this. Um, let me see here. Scalesters is a recent one from VMT. This was last month. And this is extra special because um, a member, I think it was Brenda, could be wrong on that, I think it was Brenda, asked me if I could create something that she could use for different exam levels, like as a chart for tracking scales. And I was like, hmm, doesn't sound very much like a game. But I see where she's going. But it would have to be adaptable to different exam systems. I'm not going to make one for ABRSM and one for AMEB and one for the Americans who use no exam system and one for RCM and one for REAM, which is the Irish one. No, that's not happening. So what I'm going to do is make one that you can put in your own scales and it'll come out with a few resources that will be useful for them. So this um, is a form that VMT members can fill in. Um, and if you remember and you haven't tried it, try it out. A few members have gotten in touch with me saying like, but what do I put in the boxes? And I'm like, well, anything. And also you can just try it and then throw away what you get because you realize how it works and it was all wrong. So um, this is how it works. It generates three different things. So you put in a bunch of stuff here. I've put in C major country motion, E flat minor country motion, G minor hands separately. G major, arpeggio, three octaves, etc. Right? F dominant seventh. It's just a random mix. This would never be an exam <laughs> set. But, you know, I wanted to show the different options here. And it generates these, which are cards that you can't see. There we go. That's an odd angle. These are the scales just cards. It also generates this sheet. This is... So there's a star outside of each one. And it says, notes learned, slow and steady... Getting faster, mastered. Sorry, the light's weird in here, so it's hard for me to read. Um, and I would fill in these stars as I'm going so that they can track their progress. Okay, I know the notes. Then I'm at this stage, then I'm at this stage. So working up through the, the levels there. And then there's a third one, which is a Scalester Speed Tracker. This is what this looks like. And there's stars beside different speeds. And again, if... Um, any of these don't appeal to you, like someone was saying, but I don't want to focus on speed. Grand, throw that away. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can just print the cards and use them, put them in a hat or a coconut and draw them out one by one. 
or give them to the student and they can use them at home to randomize it. Yes, thank you, Jennifer. Colleen, that is called scale stirs. And actually, if you go to the library, just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash library, the home page of the library. It'll be close to the top, so it's easy to find because it's quite new. Um, so, yeah, scale stirs. And there's the cards, there's a speed tracker, and there's the star tracker as well. So those are a great way to randomize scales and really level up student scale practice at this third stage. Another great way to do it is using spinners. And I've actually homemade spinners myself for various student grades. And I do like the physical versions, I have to say. I think they're that little bit more fun. But I know it's so hard when you have all these different students doing all different sets of scales and you know it would be a lot of making spinners and spinners are not the quickest thing to make so great option is something like decide now i'm sure many of you know this but this is the way it works it spins around like this Ooh, it looks so bright on the screen that's crazy and it says a and what i like about decide now recently is that they've added that deactivate button so you can um colleen just suggested the same thing i'm <laughs> which is why i paused I'm demonstrating the side now and she's a couple of minutes behind me and she just suggested it. That's so hilarious. Okay. But decide now is great for that because you can create your own spinners on the fly and, um, it's really quick and it is pretty fun. I like the physical spinners when I want to invest a bit more time, but, uh, yeah, the, the decide now app is awesome for that. Another great way at, to work on scales at this stage is with jewels jewels between students so this is where you get two students together as many of you might know I teach buddy lessons so I have two students together quite a lot of the time I also teach partner lessons where they're together for the whole period of the lesson either way you can get them working together on scales I like to have them work with music lock let me open up music lock actually for those of you who haven't seen it and you'll kind of see it on the screen right so I open up Music Lock and use that for a backing track and I'll have one of them choose the scale we're going to work on and the other choose the backing track. So uh, this is what Music Lock looks like. There you can see it there. And if I play that, I'll hold it up to the mic. So they're kind of poppy style ones. Okay, so I have one student choose the scale which is this cool wheel. One of the reasons I like Music Lock so much is actually just that it's beautiful. And that's actually pretty important. It looks cool. And then there's all these different tracks here. Okay, so you can pick Phoenix Pop or my favorite. I think it's my favorite because um, I find students tend to play the most in time with that one, but I also like the sound of it. So that's Music Lock, and I'll have two students work on that together, and they're sort of working against each other in a way, but they're not. You know, it's just a bit of friendly competition. You could also do a more formal scale battle, where one student is testing the other student on their scales, and they're swapping places. And you could use games like this one. This is Scaleverse. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Not having much luck with showing things today. And it has all these little tokens, okay? These are notes and sharps and flats. So one student decides what um, scale they're going to do by laying the key signature, and the other student starts the notation, and they try to trip each other up by choosing harder and harder scales. And the fun part of that is 
it becomes cool to know really complicated scales because that means you're more likely to trip the other person up. And it's a great way to practice notation outside of a theory book. You know, it's much more fun. Apart from jewels, you can also set up a challenge like my scale challenges. So I have um, scale challenges that I do in my studio. This is a big part of how my students work on leveling up their scales past the beginning stages. The first level is uh, sort of beginner level, late beginner maybe, is um, all major scales, one octave, similar motion, contrary motion and the arpeggio of all majors. Next level, all minors. I do harmonic minor first, so all the harmonic minors. Next level is all majors, two octaves in all of those configurations, minors, two octaves, and then the top level is three octaves and two obviously with the countries, and then um, all the three types of minors as well. Yeah? So it's pretty epic, I have to say, but um, as they move forward in those challenges, they're getting their name on the challenge board, which if you haven't seen before, you can check it out on the blog. But they get their name up there, so they get some glory and they get the sticker on the front of their folder and they get to be proud of themselves. And like I say, they already have that intrinsic understanding of why scales are important and why they're valuable and why they're fun and how they can be fun and how they can practice them in fun ways. So the challenges just provide this um, physical manifestation of that, like when they get to a certain level, which is which is great fun for them, right? I really hope you enjoyed that training and that you got a lot out of it. If you want to see the video and see where I'm pointing to various things at different points in it, then you can catch that at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash bday, B-D-A-Y. And that's where you can also find all seven of these free trainings that I did on the Colorful Keys Facebook page. Of course, you can also catch them on the Facebook page itself if you prefer to navigate these things through Facebook. That's it for now. Hope you enjoyed it and I'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed this training and like the idea of gamifying more of your teaching, you have to become a Vibrant Music Teaching member. That's where all the fun stuff lives. Go to vmt.ninja to sign up today and get access to the brand new Circle of Fifths Odyssey course as well as many others. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.